G'day folks, uh, welcome to a special rest day edition of Detour Live. Uh, we're going to be unpacking the rise and fall of the Linda McCartney racing team. We're also going to be talking about the iTeam Nova concept, which was born after that. Uh, as always, I'm joined by four-time national road champion Johnny Chavarro, who looks like he's just come out of the bush, and Olympic gold medalist Scott McGrory. How are you, fellas? Good, mate, good. Yeah, really well, Daniel. Yep, and uh, we, we should kick things off with what happened in the races overnight. Um, we'll start off with the Giro, a uh, bit of a surprise winner. Um, what's his name again, Scooter? <laughs> Ruben, <laughs> Ruben Guerrero from EF Pro Cycling. So, look, hey, interesting stage in that last night when we were discussing it, you know, was it going to be for the breakaway? Was it going to be a real GC battle? Well, it was to be kind of both, Um but it didn't kind of work out the way some of the riders expected. So 208 kilometres, it started, started on the Adriatic coast at San Salvo and then went up into the Apennine Mountains and to the biggest and most well-known of the ski resorts in the Apennine Mountains. Most people go to Italy up into the Dolomites or into the, you know, the border of uh, Switzerland um, and France, but you can ski a little bit further down in the Apennines as well. And that was Roccarasso was the ski resort. And uh, break went about 25 k's in. Um, and it was a filthy day, just cold and wet all day. And I think that may have played a little bit of a part uh, towards the end with some of the GC guys in particular. Good to see Ben O'Connor from Western Australia riding for NTT, made it into the break. A little bit like it was yesterday for Alex Dowsett. He went on to win the stage, but he's chasing a contract because um, it's unsure he's going to get another one with uh, Israel Startup Nation. Same for Ben O'Connor. NTT at the moment looks like it's going to finish at the end of the year. He turned World Tour for that team four years ago. Contact, hunting hunting for contracts. So um, in the end, he didn't uh, hang around right to the finish, finished a little bit further down in the overall classification. One of the ugliest sprints to the top of a hill between uh, Jonathan Castrovejo and, uh, and um, Guerrero. But Guerrero got the win for EF Education. Interesting. He's from Portugal, rides for EF. We've had two mountaintop finishes. The first mountaintop was Mount Etna. That was won by Caiseo, rides for EF, and he's from Portugal. And since that day, we've had a Portuguese rider in Almeida leading the Giro all the way through till now. So the Portuguese are absolutely on fire. Back behind, though, we saw some action from Lucas Hamilton. So great to see mm. the Aussie attack, attack the, the GC group. Um, Nibali put his brother and his teammates on the front to try and make it hard. And in the end, he was the one that suffered more than most. So he lost a few seconds, Nibali. Hamilton gained a few. And the best of the rest, it was Wilco Kelderman and Jakob Fulsang. They seemed like the two strongest of the GC guys. And with them, on the same time, another young West Australian, Jai Hindley, who's now up in ninth place. So he put time into Vincenzo Nibali. So Hindley, looking very, very good, boys. I was surprised that uh, young Gagan um, Hart, the, the young English guy, didn't work much with, uh, with Lucas. Yeah, I think because he had a teammate in front, but they, they were at that point you know, two and a half minutes ahead, so um, a bit silly. And then look, he attacked him at the end and gained time on Lucas, so he picked up a few, a few, a comfortable seconds over over Lucas. And I think Lucas was eight seconds or so in front of Wilco Kelderman coming from behind. The last uh, K was, or two Ks almost, was terrible. The last kilometre was twelve percent gradient. Um, that's why I say it was a really messy and ugly sprint. Both riders in front seemed to be overgeared. Um, and they just muscled, manhandled the bikes to the finish line. Um, so second place for Ineos and, uh, and Teo Gegenhardt. Yeah, 
don't know how much he could have done to help, but he, he probably should have. The gap was big enough. He could have just worked with Lucas to gain a few more seconds. And and obviously, Gent Welvigan was a, a big talking point. Um, there was a, a good little video of Mads Pedersen someone posted. And it was what he was like before the race and after the race. Have a look at this. <laughs> Fantastic win. Um, obviously, you know, it goes a long way, you know, just being relaxed, I think, and enjoying yourself and enjoying the experience. And, uh, yeah, chapeau. But um, your man, if he would man art, he pretty much uh, played – he was just playing off. Uh, what was his other name, the, the Dutchie? Yeah, Van der Poel. Van der Poel. And well, yeah, it. It, it, it did, but you've got to go back a bit before that. So in the last part, I mean, you got, that was a very, very select grip. The who's who uh, uh, of uh, classics riders there. And Van Art was the one doing most of the attacking and splitting, and, and he did a couple of big attacks, and just, those things just went on top. And when the, when the three got clear before uh, – um, uh, Peterson jumped across. Um, he was the one who actually let it go. He was almost closing. He, he just sort of swung over. So in some ways, he, he cost it uh, for himself. And then they, then he and uh, Van der Poel started playing a stupid game. But a great ride by Peterson to get across. And the big talking point, uh, Scooter, was Mark Cavendish. He was quite emotional after the finish. This is the interview Cav did with the uh, host broadcasters. Okay. Mark Cavendish, I can see it, and it was a really hard, hard day for you. I see you're getting emotional. How, how was your day? Perhaps the last race of my career. Do you really think this is your last race? Did you want to show something? Bit of a tease. I mean, he could have stayed around and answered a couple of questions. <laughs> yeah, wasn't um, ready for it. Was he just wasn't ready for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah he wasn't. And and yeah. because with what's going on with COVID, there's uh, the what's adding to this is that he, of course, hasn't got a contract for next year um, as yet. But there's still some doubt with all the races that have been cancelled, cancelled just across the border: Amstel Gold, um, Paris Bay south of the border, Amstel Gold north of the border. So Belgium is still in this situation where anything can happen, and it's still a little while until we get to Tour of Flanders. Uh, so it might actually be that those races may not go ahead and therefore Cab's thinking, well, perhaps this is the last race that he'll do for the team. So, uh, well, for, for, for good, because at the moment he doesn't have a contract for next year. And it would be... For I'd like be Mark surprised, Cavendish. I'd be surprised, Scotty, if that's the case, because I, I think he's made that decision. You don't get that emotional when you're not sure. He's made that He knew that's his last bike race. You watch it. It would be a statement come out where he's actually saying, I'm stepping down. Hmm. Yeah, well, Rod. I know we had Rod serious conversations with Rod Ellingworth yesterday. Yeah, and I reckon that's yeah. the, they've said no. Yeah, well, I, I think. Um, well, I, I don't. Re I don't know why they wouldn't take him to to these next couple of races at least. And Rod has been his coach and mentor throughout his entire career, even when they were riding in, you know, working for different teams. 
Um, so, yeah, it does perhaps look like he's not going to ride for them next year. They may not be extending his contract, and that's probably more financial than anything. Of course, he hasn't had the results that we expect from him this year. But if they paid him a lot less, if he was willing to take a lot less, he could still you know, be you know, a working factor of the team and contribute to it as a mentor for some of the younger riders. But if, uh, if they haven't agreed on that, then maybe he's just either pulled the plug and said, that's it, I'm not going to come back. Or, you know, you throw in the COVID situation and he's just un- unsure yeah. at the moment. Yeah. All right. Well, Ify, I think it's time to introduce our first guest, mate. Well, we do have a special guest, uh, Susan Stewart. The Wonder Woman of uh, uh, of cycling. Hi, Susie Q. Hi, guys. Hi. Nice Hi. to be here. G'day. Wonder Woman. That's a good. That's a good. Yeah. Wonder Woman. Yeah. I'm going to get out well, now because that's as good as it's going to get for me. That's right. Well, we go back a long while. I can remember uh, uh, Sue joining John Craven's Caribou publications company we were running the sun tour back in, in the uh, in the 90s and uh the opera classic at all those great events and uh he managed to uh to twist Susie's arm get her on board she became the administrator sort of coordinator and she was a great coordinator I remember those early days of the sun tour which is actually called the fun tour back in those days and Sue you were the chief party organizer and <laughs> Even when the music was too loud, we had to do it off a off a small little, almost, we didn't have iPhones back in those days, but some little tiny. So, uh, clock radio? Console. Clock radio, that's what it was. <laughs> but the music would be going, the beers would be flowing, and we had some wonderful, wonderful times. And that's when I first met Sue. And then, of course, she met a damn bike rider on the, on the bike race, a bloke named Dave McKenzie. They're married and uh, got a, 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 a tribe of kids now. Um <laughs> But it's just been a, a wonderful uh, two. Well, it's a tribe. More than more than one is a tribe, and um, but it's been a wonderful journey. And uh, I can remember when you were living over in in Europe, when um, Dave was riding with the Linda McCartney team, which we're going to talk with Dave about very soon about the, the amazing that amazing story. And it all fell over. And I remember getting a call from uh, Sue in. Uh, you in Switzerland, John? This, this is the longest idea. intro in the history of intros. Can you let Susan speak, please? Throw something at her, please. Let her talk. The great idea. This is what I'm getting to. This is what okay. you're, you're going to talk about. All right. Chant, we would be there, Dan. Oh, that's what we're going to talk about. I you were just talking right. about. Okay. So this great idea of a of a uh, fan based uh, uh, setup for a pro team. And uh, she threw the idea. I loved it. We got another guy uh, um, uh, in a headlock, and he joined us as well, Des Flynn. And the three of us put together this uh, wonderful uh, uh, concept, which became iTeam Nova. So there, it's the lead-in. Sue, how are you? And that's all the time we've got tonight, folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I figure, you know, I sort of have to be a Wonder Woman to uh, talk JT into a digital um platform solution, you know, way back, what, 20 years ago. So, you know, that was the starting point when John decided to take on a a digital project. I thought, you know, things are really going to happen now. One way or the other, (laughs) it's going to be good or it's going to be bad, but it's going to happen. So when you launched the team, Susan, this was obviously on the back of the collapse of the Linda McCartney team. And when you had to do the first big presser, you didn't have the kit. So you had to think on your on your feet. You've you've sent through some photos. We've got one of Macca here for the launch. 
you've really thought outside the box. We had to, Dan. It was you're exactly right. The kit didn't turn up. We had, you know, photo shoot all locked in. We we're in this magazine, and um, so we we turned to a body painting solution. So the first thing that happened was Dave had to get a G string on, oh. and then he had then he had to spend eight hours getting body painted. And you know, by this time it's peak hour down at Albert Park Lake, and we still have to get the photo shoot done. So he's literally riding around Albert Park Lake in peak hour in a g-string and body paint. So unbelievable. Well, for, for those people that are listening, they wouldn't be able to see the images, obviously. But um, when you first see that photo, that promotional photo of Macca, it doesn't look like it. It just looks like a you know a skin suit or a, an aero suit back in the day. You know it. At first glance, you have to really focus to actually see that. Oh, that's actually body paint. It was quite the when I and I remember when I first saw it, I just thought, Oh, what a smart idea, Susie. That's a great <laughs> concept. I didn't realize it was a scramble to make it happen. Well, I'm more worried about his hair, Scotty, to be honest. In that photo, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> now, the other question is you said you had to put on a G string for that. Did you have to go buy one or did you just have one laying around? Well, you know, I can't name names, but the G-string did belong to someone who actually we were doing the photo shoot at that person's house. I'm not even going to say him or her. I'm just going to say it was their, their G-string. He didn't have to go and buy it, and he didn't give it back afterwards either. So, <laughs> so it wasn't yours, it wasn't yours, Sue? Uh, it wasn't mine, no. So, <laughs> so I won't name so names. <laughs> take, take us through how the idea started and what you were trying to do different. Well, it started because the McCartney team collapsed, as you said, and, you know, I really wanted to think about how cycling teams are so dependent on generally one sponsor, one big sponsor, and how we could diversify some of the revenue. So that's where the idea started. I looked at other models, you know, obviously footy and, and, and sports like that have stadiums so they can sell tickets. So, you know, that we couldn't emulate that, but I felt that there was a way we could... Um, diversify revenue and find other streams to prop the team up and make it more sustainable. So that was the impetus of the idea. You know, we were really ahead in terms of we were covering, uh, doing live coverage of races. We were doing sort of private chat rooms behind a firewall with um, with riders for members who joined up. So, you know, a lot of that was ahead of its time because the technology was so inaccessible back then and so expensive. So, um, you know, it was it was an interesting time and a good idea. But I guess the other side is now that technology is so accessible, people wouldn't pay a membership for that sort of um, access as well. And what was John's role in the early days? Uh, yeah, Technology well, yeah. advisor. <laughs> yeah. no, he had no. several roles. Yeah. You're in yeah. charge of Chief famous bottle wash. Yeah, I was going to say that there's a famous story where you were making nougat, wasn't there, John? Uh, yeah, that's a terrible uh, yeah. story. That was it. Was uh, so the teams got going. We had like a thousand members paying two hundred dollars, uh, something like that each, um, and so it, it was becoming uh, sustainable. It was a great idea, uh, and the team was based in Belgium. That was fantastic. What are you looking at there, Dan? You're sort of locked into something there, mate. What's I've wrong? got the photo. Isn't there? A, oh, great! Isn't the photo pop up? No. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm talking about the writers in it when you keep going, John, but um, we'll yeah. talk about okay. the writers because they're quality guys. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I've done the Tour de France. So I duck up to the, their base was in Belgium. So I duck up uh, the, the next day after Tour de France to uh, to see the gang. And uh, so Susan and Dave uh, were living in a lovely little uh, unit 
uh, apartment in Ghent. Uh, Al Yaqani was with them. And I got there and the boys were just about to go training. Uh, and Susan was cooking up. So what you do if you boil uh, condensed milk in the can for, for about an hour, it turns into caramel. So... So because I was there, Susan decided to make this special meal with a really special dessert. Oh, it was going to be fantastic. But Susan, so the boys were training. Susan's ducked to the library. She said, now, in half an hour, you have to turn off the boiling water. I said, okay. I, mean, I, I fell asleep. I woke up to an explosion in the kitchen. Seriously, the can has exploded and it's all, uh, there is caramel. Hot, sticky caramel all over the walls. And uh, the boys yeah. came back and, and uh, they were sort of, we were cleaning it when, when uh, well, Susie could tell the story about when she was walking up the street well, approaching. So I, yeah. I walked in, so we're in this sort of warehouse complex and I opened the door and I could smell burnt caramel. <laughs> and then I opened the door to where our particular, you know, apartment was and it was getting stronger and stronger. And so I walk in the kitchen, there's Dave and Elle, it's still in their bike kit, scraping the walls in JT. So I just turn around and walk straight back out again. <laughs> uh, so what? So what was the um, initial goal with the team? What races were you competing in, and what were you aiming for? Well, we started off. Uh, I'm going to say, Dan, it wasn't as planned as that as you make it sound. We um we had an idea to sort of you know get some racing in uh, domestically, so we could showcase ourselves and. We felt like most of the members would come from Australia, so it was nice to have some success in Australia. So, you know, we started off well at the um, at the John's Bakerits, of course, where Dave won, you know, the final stage of the Bakerits. And, you know, I love that headline. It's such a fantastic image. Um, and I'm not sure if you recall, JT, but straight after that, Dave actually had a, a almost a career-ending accident when um, one of we had all the team out for the national championships and one of the guys got caught in tram tracks. Yeah, and um, as he hopped out of the tram tracks, he hooked in with Dave's handlebars. And Dave came off and actually um, hit the back of a gardening truck and sliced his face sort of from here to, to here and then sliced his leg uh, right down to the bone from oh, his I knee. I remember it so his, terrible. Yeah, groin. Yeah. So so that was the start of um, of Nova. So, you know, that was, um, you know, a bit harrowing, I guess, for a start. Um, but from there, we we headed overseas. We looked at some, you know, second tier racing, particularly around Belgium and and uh, Netherlands. So we had a little bit of success around there, which was nice. Um, John's probably more of the racing guy to talk about some of the successes in racing. JT, um, with your knowledge of that, that you know, I was so busy with the sponsorship. I'll just. Yeah, <laughs> get out of it that way. Well, they were they were racing everything bar the the, the full classics, but all the, the the major you know one day races. Uh, and uh, Bert won uh, or Brett Lancaster won uh, um, the uh, what was it called the Rondevon uh, Overside or something like that uh, in Holland, which was quite a big race. And uh, I remember you being excited. Uh, uh, Sue, because it was called the race of the people, and it was won by the team of the people, and they were, they were very excited about that. So that was a very good win. So they were they were you know riding a lot of great races, and, and back in Australia as well, winning stage in the Sun Tour and uh, Bay Classic, all the biggest events. And so you said it was going to be um, pro predominantly driven by um, the members and so forth. How did you get the word out there to generate memberships and so forth? 
Well, we actually, um, I don't know if you recall Bill's cycling page, and we had a bit of an agreement with them. You know, they were one of the first sort of digital platforms sharing cycling news. So we'd actually have banner ads on there, people could click through from there. We also had, um, you know, a paper-based uh, membership sign-up as well. And I don't know if you know, but our number one ticket holder was uh, Shane Bannon. So that was interesting. At the launch, he actually filled out his paper one and handed it to me with the money. And um, actually our number two ticket holder was Matt White, who was still actually racing for another team at the time. So, so we had the dual strategy. Um, you know, of course, as you imagine back then, it wasn't as easy as, as just clicking and, and go through and it wasn't as easy as getting the news and the word out there. So the main one was through Bills, which I believe by then Gerard Knapp had actually um, acquired. So, Yeah. yeah. And it then, became Cycling News soon after that, yeah. That's right, yeah, Cycling News. And then the process of trying to get like a major sponsor, obviously that's one of the hardest things to do, not just in cycling but in, in world sport. Um, how tough was that journey to try and get in some big corporate partners? It was pretty tough. Um, you know, getting a sponsor at the best of times is pretty tough. So, you know, we wanted to show some success and see if we could be sustainable with members and we felt that that would then appeal and attract a bigger sponsor. In the end, we um, amalgamated with Flanders. So that was a really good move for the team in terms of being able to get race starts. You know, we started in some really big races. It, it What it meant was we lost our identity a lot and, you know, the, the um, other side of the team didn't sort of buy into the membership concept so much. So, you know, it was sort of a bit of a double-edged sword that while we were starting in bigger races, we didn't, we didn't actually attract as many members in the second year as we did in the first year. So, you know... That's the story of the of Nova. Um, going going back, if you were able to do it again, knowing what you know now, what are some of the things that you would change, perhaps, um, to try and get it off the ground a bit better? I I think I probably would have tried to get more technically. Just, uh, 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 <laughs> uh, 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 oh, you're talking to Susan. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe Susan. other uh, co-owners. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, look, to, I think that you definitely need the capital behind you to be able to sustain yourself for three years. You know, that's the length of time you're going to take to to see success and be able to show a major sponsor what you can do for them. You know, nowadays the technology is so accessible, so the concept needs to change a lot to find what the edge is that, um, that people want to see. They're getting the news from everywhere, so you can't um, offer them something that they can't get somewhere else. So I think while the concept had some merit then and maybe still has some merit, it needs someone who can understand what that fan journey and that fan engagement in the membership environment looks like when you can't go to a stadium and, and barrack for them. Yeah, but you say you go to a stadium and barrack for them, but that's one of the big things with the Australian football codes and especially AFL, which I know more about than, than NRL, is the membership base. You know, that every football team in Australia relies so much on on getting maximum number of members to really bolster you know, their own internal economy and their budget. And, and then it works the, the other way is that sponsors then have access to those members at a point of passion as well. So we were sort of heading uh, down getting the members and showing a sponsor then they could have that engagement with the members. So, Well, we've got some que uh, comments coming in. Matthew Keenan, it was an awesome effort, Susan. You did an incredible <laughs> job. And Stuart McIntosh, he wants to know, how does Sue see the future for cycling sustainability of the industry? Is the big name sponsor arrangement going to continue or is there some other concept that might take off? 
Well, it's a good question and, you know, there's a lot of opinion out there. Uh, as you might know, we've just moved into an Oz cycling environment where uh, Cycling Australia, Mountain Bike Australia and BMX Australia have all joint forces. So, you know, that's significant for the sport in terms of its ability to grow. Um, you know, I actually sort of see a bit of a licence system where we have uh, our teams here, but maybe in a, in a licence environment, uh, they also commit to to putting on races and doing some things like that. You know, it's all about the money, we know that, but if we can grow it from the grassroots and appeal to a broader audience in Australia, then we're going to have more appeal to a big sponsor as well. Well, speaking of grassroots, you look at other codes, you know, it starts with school kids and you ran an event for a number of years there that was all about, you know, getting school kids into racing. Um, do you want to give us a bit of background on, on that concept? Um, so the event was called the Australasian School Cycling Cup. So it was actually nine disciplines. We ran uh, BMX, uh, mountain bike, both cross country, downhill, uh, road racing. Um, I think there was a, a I'm going to call it a hill climb, but, it, you know, it, that's probably a, a bit of a loose term. It was um, Mount Major out of Dookie. So not many people would call that a hill climb. Um, and a time trial. So it was it was including all of the disciplines and it was appealing to novice riders as well. So you could come along and enter as a novice or enter as a licensed rider and that's how we divided them up. So it was um, very much to appeal to the schools, bring all the schools in and let them have a competitive experience um, based on the snow sports model because there's a, a lot of strong alignment there. So, you know, it was it was great. It was really quite a good success for the five years that I held it. Um, when I headed off to Italy to work with Green Edge, unfortunately, I found it very hard to keep it going when I wasn't there. As we know, if you're the, the person driving it, you're the passion person, then you, you have to be there to see it through. So otherwise, I, I feel like it would actually still be running and still be quite big by now. Are you tempted to get it going again now that you've spent a bit more time in Australia? I know that you've got you've got a place in uh, Spain as well. So once the restrictions ease up, but is it something that you consider firing up again? Um, yeah, look, maybe uh, at the moment. I don't know if you know, but I actually work in participation for Cycling Australia. So I work for our new participation brand, Ride Nation, and I uh, led the project to get Ride Nation off the ground. So this is even aiming sort of at a, at a level below that. So where we're actually um, working with schools, getting kids on bikes there, getting bikes into schools because equipment is one of our major barriers. Um, but I see that as probably the starting point. You know, once you've got that groundswell, then putting on events and, and you know, creating activities and adventures for kids becomes the next level. So, you know, I think that's, that's why I'm pretty excited to be working with Ride Nation. I think it's a, it's an area of passion for me just to see more bikes having, uh, sorry, see more kids having fun on bikes mm. and then getting them into something else from there. Well, no, it's uh, great Susan, stuff. It's, it's, we know that uh, in terms of the sport in Australia, it actually pales in size to the recreation, the people, the number of people that actually just ride bikes uh, per week compared to the ones that actually register and go and race. But is one of the biggest challenges um, well, one of the ones that I really do see, but do you agree and how do we come over this is we talk about trying to get kids on bikes, more people riding bikes, but I really feel that there's a terrible anti-cycling culture in Australia that I, I think is hindering the growth of the participation and the sport 
because of this negative approach that uh, you know this war war cars versus bikes etc um, p- parents are too scared to let their kids ride to school so they put them in their four-wheel drives and drive them to school because there are too many four-wheel drives on the road um, which is counterintuitive so how, how do we yep. perhaps overcome that from a maybe a government um, perspective to try and increase uh, the the participation of everybody, including kids riding to school, et cetera, and just riding on weekends, but also the perception that it's a dangerous environment out there. I mean, Scotty, you've hit it on the head because what we saw during lockdown was people actually just getting out on their bikes. So if you take cars off the road, you know, immediately people are going to feel safer and want to get out there. So, you know, I'm pretty lucky the area that I live in, it's really cycling friendly. Um, Our kids have ridden to school the whole time. And so once you start seeing more people on their bikes, more people are inclined to get out there and then, you know, cars take notice, you know, cars slow down and cars uh, go around the bikes. But as I said, I think I live in a unique area. So, you know, we'd like to see that emulated, you know, for, further afield than, um, than when we, where we are. So it's a matter of both, you know, par- uh, parents have a little bit of, that safety concern, there's a bit of parental guilt about letting their kids go out riding. You know, we've fed a lot of information about that. So I think we really have to just show people that, you know, kids really have fun with this. It's it's about their motor skills, it's about their development, it's about their independence. So once we can start that process and, and get a bit more of a critical mass, we'll see, you know, more infrastructure, we'll see more, um, cars slowing down and I really see we'll build it that way and it won't happen overnight look I think there's so many people that are so passionate about it operating in this space that we'll see it growing and growing from here sorry this is off topic but we used to complain with John about his clicking pen now he's got a bug zapper in the background (laughs) it's like that scene off the castle you know when he goes how's this ready not a sound you just hear the bugs getting done (laughs) Sorry hey, what about, about that? that? What about that? Let's go back to I Team Nova for a moment. We saw that photo. Have you still got the photo of the writers, Dan? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Um, yep. Brett Lancaster, Jamie Drew, yep. um, Alan Nikwane, Trent Wilson, and of course Dave McKenzie in the front there. From people in Australia that are into cycling and been around cycling for a long time, they know those riders. You've got an Olympic gold medalist in Brett Lancaster, you know, Australian champions in Drewy and, and Albie. Uh, and then, you know, Macca's exploits, Stuart Italia, stage winner, and Trent Wilson, who rode the Stuart Italia um, a number of times for his, his professional team as well. You've only got five guys in the team to start with, but they were all bloody good bike riders. So it was a, a good pickup. Um, how, how, did the, how did you get that group together, Susan? Um, well, I think by then we actually, I think all our Euros were signed by then as well. They just they just didn't come out for the launch. But the first thing I want to say from that photo is you can see the, the kit was pretty much straight out of the box because it all looks so beautiful and clean. And oh, it's fresh. <laughs> it's fresh. So, I mean, Scotty, back then, you know, cycling was a, a buyer's market. You know, these were guys that were actually scrambling to get contracts. So it... You know, I wouldn't say that there was anything in particular that I did except to say that that perhaps we'll um, get them some money and get them in some races. So, you know, that's that's a little bit of a sad indictment on the sport, I'd say, from um, from that point of view. And to, as you say, to pick up the quality of riders that are in there, but for them to not really have other options about what they were going to do. 
There's another there. great picture. Have a look at that place. <laughs> a Joko on the bottom there. How funny how that got involved. Yeah. Uh, in well, the first year, Desi Flynn did a great job. In the first year, we had uh, uh, DeRosa bikes, which were, you know, one, one of the, still are one of the world's top bikes. Uh, and then, of course, he did the deal with Flanders uh, for, for the second year. But And then Jerry did get involved. Jerry, uh, uh, a sponsor of the team, and, and put some money into the team, which was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say with that photo, that's actually Dave's head on someone else's body. If this you have one? A close, yeah. If you have a close look at that. Oh, just wow. <laughs> we we think... tried that same thing in a training camp with my body, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to see the photo, Dan, if yeah, you've got it. The shocker. <laughs> well, you know his body better than anyone's, but that looks – it kind of fits. You know, he's got mm. the wide shoulders, um, Dave. So, yeah, good, good choice. Of yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Um, it's been fantastic having Susan on. We've only scratched the surface on um, some things you've done in the sport, so we, we're going to have to get you back on another time to continue the uh, the next chapter, particularly when you went to Europe, did some stuff with Green Edge, as you mentioned, and so forth. But um, you've also got – you're a forward thinker. You were five, six years ahead of your time with that concept. Um, yeah. This was you know well before Facebook and social media. So, yeah, it must be a bit hard to to pallet knowing that if you had those tools available that around today, I mean, the success of that concept could have been different. Look, it's pretty remarkable. I'm, I'm, you know, for, for forever in awe of people who created uh, something new in the digital environment because realistically, it's more competitive than it was then. So, if if not then, and look, yes, I think we were ahead of our time, and but. It's still a competitive market, whatever you do. So I'm not sure I would have kept up with the pack when I see what's out there in a technology environment. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm being modest, but with JT and Des as partners, you know, I'm, I'm sort of uh, pretty confident that perhaps it <laughs> 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 might not have ended up where we wanted to. But anyhow, I'd say, yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, well when, really... when, we do, when we do get you back, Susan, we can then go into the story uh, when Pat McQuaid, the former president of the UCI, before that he was one of the gurus of cycling in Great Britain and, and Ireland, running the Nissan Tour of Ireland, the Kellogg's series, of how he had to get you to come to a strip club to apply for a position. So we'll wait. We'll hold that in abeyance for the next start. Uh, That'll show. be the detour live uncut. <laughs> job in cycling? <laughs> That's the Is that a job in cycling or a job in the club? <laughs> well, you'll have to find out, Scotty. I yeah, that's know. right. Okay. <laughs> hey, um, it's been awesome having you on. Is Macca back from – I think he was down at Fed Square or something. Is he back he back home yet? He's back and he's got the cup out of, um, you know, storage. So it must be a very special occasion. So I won't preempt it. Um, but yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, we'll do this, the straight changeover. But, uh, yeah, no, we've really enjoyed having you on, Susan. And, um, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to get back on soon to, to fill in the next chapter. Love it. Thanks, guys. Good See, you, See you, Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Fantastic insights there. As we said, like ahead of her time, um, with the, the Team Nova concept. Now, we've got the man himself, Neil, the Sheriff Stevens. How are you, Sheriff? G'day, Dan. How you going, mate? <laughs> yeah, good. Steve, how are you? How are you, bud? Hey, John. Mate. Scotty. Hey, before hey. we get um, Macker on, uh, why don't we just recap, like, how's the team going on the back of the Tour de France? They, they must still be on a bit of a high, or is it straight on the next event? Yeah, a bit of a, a, bit of a uh, turn up for the books. One of the last time we were chatting, 
uh, in the middle of the tour, we had a, a young fellow in the top 10 and he was going along all right. And then he sort of popped up to second and, and bang, he's gone to, and won the bloody tour at what, 21 or 22 years old. So it was bloody amazing. And so, um, yeah, we've sort of all sort of a bit gobsmacked after that. And uh, we've actually been going all right since then. We've won in a couple of different other areas. But, um, yeah, bloody just just amazing. Yeah? He's a nice young fellow, bloody fantastic result for the team. He speaks very good English, uh, as a lot of the Slovenians do, but he seems to have a little bit of a uh, Neil Stevens version of, of English we, we, we hear. Yeah. A lot of F-bombs. Yeah, yeah you should see him when he hasn't got the microphone in his hand. <laughs> hey, we, Steve, with, um, obviously, you, know, you, you signed World Tour as a very young rider, so you see all the talent. But, you know, if you go back maybe even last year, training camps at the end of last year coming into this season – you know, what did you see in him or you know, could you see the potential that he's going to, to win or, you know, how good did he appear to be as a kid, you know, last year when you first signed him up? Well, I, I really can't take the credit for, for what he did beforehand. You know, like there's a, another guy on the team, he's, he's a bit of a talent scout, he's very good at his job. But when I, I came to the team the same time as, um, as Tade did and um, I remember looking around on the internet and looking at race results and looking at different things that riders uh, had done. And I remember watching the Tour 11 here, the, the, basically the, the Tour de France for young riders, and we're watching his results. And he was in a, a quite a small team, very little support. And the way he rode was just with great confidence. And he was obviously, he seemed to be able to do everything, sprint, climb, ride on the front, that sort of stuff. I knew it was going to be an exciting time and uh, working with him. But um, And then when I went to the Tour Den Under the very first time, I, I, you know, he got delayed in airports and he had to try to, catch buses and get his, his own way back down to Milan. And I saw how adult and how mature he was as well. And so I already knew right from those first moments down in the Tour Down Under that he was going to be something special. Um, and I knew that he was going to go a big, you know, long, a long way. Uh, what I didn't really work know is how fast it was all going to happen. But uh, I was also lucky or unlucky enough, to, I don't know how you, you see it, that I was in, in confinement with him for 15 days in uh, Dubai this year. And um, so we had a bit of time to talk about lots of different things. And he's a he's a really nice young bloke, a really fresh uh, breeze for the for cycling. He's got a great approach to different things. And so, um, yeah, we always knew it was going to be he's going to be something special. We just didn't know it was going to happen so soon. Did you give him the Esteban Chavez speech in that lockdown where you said, "Hey, mate, you can either take this serious, or you can piss <laughs> off"? <laughs> you remember no, that? I, no, no, no. Tade doesn't need any of that sort of stuff. He's uh, like very adult. I, I, I sort of said to him, you know, look, maybe, maybe this moment you've got, to, you got to sort of sit back and, and think about what you don't do well, you know, work on your sort of bad points. And, um, and um, he said, I said, what do you think you do you know, badly uh, you know, in cycling? And he said, oh, maybe time trial. And I think um, he might have worked on that by the look of the last – the second last stage of the two of the prize, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> so is that where we were talking about um, the, uh, the the language um, tuition you gave him and the F-bombs that came along yeah. with that, is that where you really yeah. focused on getting that kind of you know swearing into his vocabulary while you're in lockdown with him? <laughs> no, no. He's, he's, a, he's a very well-spoken young fella. He's actually, his mum is a, a teacher at school. She, I think she's a French ah. teacher, but... Um, so um, I don't know where he's actually picked up the F bombs from. There's a there's a European source. Oh, I heard it was in, Adel oh, in Adelaide. We're here in Adelaide. Yeah. Let's get get the F out of here. It's up, mate. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, um, well, good, I, good I, to I see the two guys. Big, 
<laughs> so go, go Steve. So, I, I must admit it's a, it's a very important uh, in, integral part of my um, language. So it, it may well have been a, a bit of a touch of me in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, very, uh, very, expressive, very expressive. Breaking news: Sam Bullish just commented, "Sound like a cat just got caught in the bug zapper." <laughs> John has turned the bug zapper off. Now we've got another special guest, Dave McKenzie. Sorry, mate. I'll just turn you straight in. Yeah. <laughs> You'd all know him from the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast, the SBS uh, Tour de France coverage and all their other cycling races. Maka, it's a bloody honour to have you on the detour and, and you're a polished podcast performer. <laughs> so we're, we're looking to, to get some tips. We started you know, off with a, with a bug zapper and we've turned that off. Firstly, the honour is all mine because uh, I've been nagging John to come on and uh, you've taken this long. And I said to him, actually, stage seven has already happened, so I've lost my chance to talk glory again. No, no, it is my uh, pleasure to be here, guys. Um, it's uh, what a crazy year we've had. And uh, I'm just happy that we've been able to get some races on and uh, commentate and cover some bike racing. I think we all feel pretty lucky at the moment uh, for everyone who works in the industry anyway. Now, we've obviously got Neil the Sheriff Stevens on. Um, when you see his face, does it send chills back to that fateful day <laughs> at the Tour Down Under when you were riding for Linda McCartney? Do you want to, do you want to tell us that yard? We'll, we'll get off onto a really good storytelling yeah. mood here. Yeah, tell us who, yard, who's mate. Got to tell, who's, who, who will tell uh, their side of the story first, me or Neil? I reckon start. let's start with Neil first. Neil, <laughs> what's your recollection of that stage? I, um, I, uh, the, mo the most striking thing about the stage was I, I mean, through the stage, I thought I had a bit of an idea of how we might be able to win the stage. And I sent a message up to the, um, up to the peloton, up to the boys, and you know, someone coming in a bottle. I said, Tell, uh, tell Macca and I don't know who else it was, we might, we might have a bit of a, a dig up here. And, um, the, the, the boys amongst themselves decided that wouldn't be a, a good idea. And so they just didn't do that. And so, oh, crikey, I was a bit of a bit, bit. Taken back to what I should, which which way I should act that, there. And, that um, vein started filling with blood, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, can I can I, I can I you. jump in and retaliate now? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Go for so it. At the time, at the time, he's absolutely right. With the message came up, and I will I'll actually never forget it because, the, and the story we'll get into the Linda McCartney and and what actually unfolded. Max Chandry came up and said, "Hey, mate, you've got to go on the attack." And I looked at him and I was like, you're kidding, aren't you? You're kidding. And he, and he says, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. And there was a guy about seven minutes up the road and we were all pretty sort of doom and gloom a little bit because the, the sort of writing was almost on the wall with the team. And I thought, no, no, he's kidding. He's kidding. We're not, I'm not, I'm not. And I, anyway, I'm not attacking up the road. This is ridiculous. So I sat in the bunch and just rode my merry way to the finish line. And then, uh, yeah, there was a few, you know, stern so you, words, I guess, we had at the end. You get to the finish, Neil, you're steaming. These bloody smart asses, they haven't followed the instructions. I'll sort them out. What happened then? <laughs> I, um, I'll, say, I'll say it before I get to it, but bloody Macca just, just took it on board and went away. I, um, I asked the masseur and the mechanic. I said, mechanic, I said, give us a pump, some spare tyres. And I said, then I said to the masseur, give us a, um, some food and a couple of bins. Plonked them in Macca's bike and the other fellow come over who was with him. And I, I didn't want to give myself a treat. I, I thought I wasn't going to be in a hurry to go back to the hotel. So I decided to drive back to him from there, 
back to Adelaide. I'm not exactly sure how many kilometres it was, but it was a, it was a v- fair Victor hike. Harbour. Victor Harbour. I can tell you how far <laughs> it was. And I remember, and, and, you know, I was a little bit bloody, I was still reasonably young, and um, so I was very stubborn. And um, I remember we got about halfway back because two of the Spanish guys said, oh, we need the extra Ks, so we'll ride like an hour with you. And I was like, right, oh, come on. And it was so, AF, so Neil yeah. has told you you have to ride from the finish to the hotel. 80K. He, yeah, no, yeah. 90, 90K. Yeah. yeah. It was, you, no, no, it was 110 kilometers because but, we but went. How did he, de- how did he deliver that news? How did he tell you? <laughs> he said, he said, we finished and he was like, okay, um, you didn't attack. And I was like, oh. So we, you know, we sort of had a bit of a couple of words. And he said, right, oh, you blokes can ride back to the hotel if you want. And I went, Okay, fine. That's what I'll do then. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. so we rode. So we rode back. We got back at about seven thirty p.m. And I can tell you, the stage was one hundred and sixty, and it was one hundred and ten kilometers back from Victor Harbour because we went the long way. So we clocked up two hundred and seventy by the end of the day, and it was about stage four. So we still had three days to go. <laughs> Oh, that's classic. And then you went on and won the stage, I think, two or three days later, didn't you? So so then, yeah, so then the final stage, I don't know what happened. I just had one of those days, you know, out of the box. And it was the final stage then, and as we know in cycling, it wasn't guaranteed the sprinters would win. And um, for, that, for that one day, I think I was the last, that's the last time actually a sprinter has not won that final stage, by the way. I've jumped across, won the stage solo. And we've jumped in the lift, and Neil, you've looked at me and gone, "See, I told you, I told you three days ago you needed that. It was good for you." And I just went, "Oh, I was just like, oh. all right, let's just enjoy this." And I just we both laughed, and that was it. We got over it. So oh, take take us back to the beginning of the the Linda McCartney team. Um, when I first, I didn't even know it existed until five six years ago, and straight away you go, oh, "Is that?" Paul McCartney's wife, like, how did it all work? Um, how did you first join the team, Macker? And, and what was the ethos of it? What what was the Linda McCartney brand? Yeah, so it was. Uh, so it was. I joined in 1999. This team had started in 98, and Linda was alive uh, in 98, but she passed away during the year. Uh, that photo there is in at Tour Down Under in 2000, in fact. And just incidentally, if I can just digress. On the front row, Pascal Richard, Olympic champion and bloody legend of the sport. Um, well, there's a couple of other stars in there. but um, So, 99, I joined the team. Linda had passed away, sadly, from cancer the year before. She had created a frozen vegetarian food brand that was called simply Linda McCartney Frozen Foods. And um, it was quite big in the UK. And I think they got bought out by a brand called McVitie's. Um, so they had some sort of, you know, they had a fair bit of capital behind them. And the team sort of contacted me and said, look, we want to sign you. And actually the first person I heard from was Sean Yates. So I was sort of, when Sean Yates called me in Australia, I was in awe. You know, he was one of my sort of childhood heroes as, as a young kid and teenager. So I was like, wow, Sean Yates has called me. He was the director and I just said, yep, I want to join the team. This sounds ex- uh, awesome. It sounds exciting. And they said, we want to, you know, we want to base the team in Europe. And I said, great, because, you know, I'm spending time in Europe. I, I want to live in Europe anyway, full time. Uh, and so it just got off the ground. And 
there was one stipulation, uh, at least in the public eye, we had to be vegetarian. So, <laughs> so at bike races, the whole time and anywhere in public, we had to be vegetarian, which at the time I was quite happy to do because I was, I sort of wanted to try out being a veggie. So, um, yeah, we got underway and, you know, 99 sort of, it went fairly quickly. I had, I had some pretty good results, nothing huge, but I sort of had a pretty consistent year. And so then I stayed on for the year 2000. Um, did any riders like sneak out and have a stray steak or, you know, I'd, I'd struggle to last probably a week without the old snag roll. Yes, <laughs> I, I won't name names, but 100%. There was probably <laughs> there was probably about three of us that were, you know, trying to do it by the book because we wanted to. You know, we wanted to test out being a veggie. So, but some guys would literally, after the stage, duck around the corner and have a steak. Like, literally, <laughs> have a steak. I was always too scared. I was always paranoid I'd get caught. <laughs> so, I didn't do it. Well, didn't we've, do it anyway. we've got highlights, Macca, of that famous victory in the 2000 Giro. And we'll integrate this into a segment that we do every week called the Detour DeLorean. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. So we'll watch this first, we'll get in a good mood, and then we can talk about some harder stuff. As we now move on to the next stage, stage seven here, taking the rise from Vasto to Teramo, 182 kilometers, and a long breakaway already in progress. Having broken clear after just 15 kilometers, David McKenzie of the Linda McCartney team is out in front. Paul, he's had a maximum lead of over 12 minutes. And that's come down considerably now with 10 kilometres to go. It is down to just on two, well, they're telling us here, three minutes 31 is the gap at the moment. A very brave move by McKenzie, and I'm pretty certain he's going to survive now. But one man got caught in the middle. In fact, Eddie Mazzolini at one time was closing in on this man. But, you know, McKenzie now knows, Phil, he's going to win. Look at the smile on his face. The man driving the car there, in fact, is Keith Lambert, who's flown in for the day to look after the Linda McCartney team as second team manager. Eddie Mazzolini is two and a half minutes behind in the main field a further one minute behind him and this is Mazzolini here well Mackenzie started the day 146 50 minutes and 42 seconds off the pink jersey he's not going to get uh, too uh, much closer to that as he goes under the five kilometers all he wants to do now is hold on he's gone through his bad patch I think he now actually believes he can win this stage and what a victory it would be well he shouldn't get caught now he's inside five kilometers to go and he's still has over two minutes advantage but the main field is hammering along at the moment they're trying to pull him back in they're taking out the cars from behind this man second place on the road for Eddie Mazzolini he is about to get caught by the main field but Phil the gap now is coming down quite dramatically as we see the main field being led here by Mobile Vetter the team of the fast sprinter Ivan Quaranta well, what a great ride this man has done. He won the Intergiro Sprint at 95 kilometres and then he won at the little third category King of the Mountains at uh, Torricella and he now he's only got to think of a stage win here. He hasn't won many races. He's a fairly new professional. 
He knows Italy very well because he lives out this way and has raced as an amateur here. They know him too. But this is going to really vindicate the Linda McCartney team. He's given them a very early stage win in the Giro d'Italia. The organisers too will be delighted because they too are vindicated by taking this uh, British team into the race. Here he comes on his way home now. He's still got plenty of time. Time to him now is everything because he's not going to be caught. There won't be a pink jersey, but this without doubt will be the greatest moment of his life. 167 kilometers in the lead for David McKenzie. All the time in the world now to wave to the crowd here. He is absolutely delighted. He'll be mobbed by his team when they get to the line, Paul. Absolutely. Great move by him. He was the one who really took the race by the horns. Had a maximum advantage. That's his team PR John man. Deering, yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy with that. He's happy because today is the uh, Football Cup final in the United Kingdom as well. That blue jersey was a Chelsea jersey he was wearing. But there's the story of the day. David McKenzie getting the victory. And that is absolutely superb for him. Well, I do think now that the uh, organisation of the Giro d'Italia who invited them at the last minute and got an awful lot of criticism can say, well, this team, Linda McCartney, deserves their place in this year's Giro. Overall, of course, no change, though. Matteo Tassato leads by three seconds over Moreno and Enrique Gutierrez at 14 seconds, Andrea Noa at 25. Mackenzie here, by the way, speaking in Italian to the interviewers, and uh, I must say he's a pretty talented guy. Former national road race champion, of Australia yes I think you can tell on his face it was rather a tough day out for young Mackenzie great memories Mackad take us through that day mate <laughs> gee you showed the long version too I thought we were just going to see a 30 second clip um, yeah I mean it's no thanks guys I, 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 it's nice to, to relive it but um it sort of feels like a dream, you know, when you're talking about something 20 years ago, you feel like it's actually something that you didn't do. It was, it's in another lifetime. Um, but no, that day I, I woke up that morning and I think any elite sports person, especially on an individual level, they know, they just know when they're going to be on a good day when they wake up and jump out of bed. And uh, that day I did, I knew firsthand that I was, in, I was on a good one, so I didn't want to waste it. And, um, you know, I said to Sean Yates, I want to go on the attack. I want to go have a, I want to have a crack today. And it was a day that there was a couple of little climbs near the end, so I knew the sprinters' teams couldn't or wouldn't try and set tempo all day. Um, so I thought there just might be a chance, but I certainly wasn't thinking to go solo. I, I wanted to get away and drag, you know, 10 riders with me, and I was – I was a sprinter, but I wasn't a, a pure sprinter like obviously Robbie McEwen or those guys. But I was handy in a in a you know ten up sort of sprint. And so the day started. There was a lot of attacks at the start, and then after about eighteen kilometres, they said, "Piano, piano, come on, boys!" And the sort of Italian mafia, you know, said, "Righto, let's um, let's just call a truce. Let's ride along at snail's pace for the next you know two three hours." And that's how the Giro was sort of raced back then. There were two speeds. There was absolute, you know, your grandmother could keep up and then there was warp speed that, um, you know, was, was off the charts. And as at that point it happened, I rolled up beside Robbie McEwen and I went, oh, no, this is no good. I want to attack. I said, this is crazy. And he goes, go, attack. And you imagine Robbie, 
cheeky little banger, which I'm I'm grateful, I'm thankful of, because maybe if he hadn't have given me that little push, and he said, just go. He said, duck up, go up the dirt, get back on the road and go, because they'd swarmed across the road. And I, I looked at him and I said, okay, see ya. And that was it. I jumped, went around the bunch, and I tacked up this slight incline. And as I attacked, I could hear the abuse from the peloton <laughs> behind me, like expletives and all sorts in, in three different languages. And I thought, oh, no, this is, you know. And I was, I got reasonably intimidated in the peloton. You, you like, went against the family. Well, guys like Cipollini <laughs> and Pantani, you know, you didn't, you didn't break code or if you did, you had to make sure it worked. And it wasn't until later Max Chiandri said to me after I won the stage, he said, oh, man, he said, geez, I'm glad you won because he said when you went, he said they were screaming out saying, ah, oh, look at the vegetarian. He's on, <laughs> on his way to the butchers. He's on his way to the butchers. And then I started drifting back in the first kilometre and they said, oh, hang on, he's coming back. He's forgot his wallet. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God. And he said, oh, I'm so glad you won, mate. And then, you know, the rest is history. I settled in for a long day and 164 Ks later, it, um, yeah, it all paid off. If he... Oh, sensational. So I remember uh, talking with you about this and, and you felt you got a good lead, but you kept a bit in reserve because you knew they're only going to let you get so much, no matter how hard you went, they're going to let you have so much distance. So you sort of kept it at a steady pace. I had that six minutes, seven minutes, but I kept a bit in reserve. So when they started to close it down, you had something left to, 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 uh, to dig in with. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, sort of. I mean... Neil, Scotty, John, you know, you guys, you guys know as well as anyone, you sort of, you put yourself out there and I went, okay, I'm riding, I'm riding, well, I live in Melbourne, I'm riding from Melbourne to Sorrento and back 200 kilometres and I'm doing it as hard as I possibly can, you know, pacing myself over five hours. So I did and I didn't leave anything in reserve. I guess I just got, like any cyclist, you get a sniff of the finish line and you go, Cheapers, I've got a chance here. And I just dug deep. And there was there was a point about 40 kilometres to go. There was one rider and they showed it in the clip. He started to come across. He attacked from the peloton. And he got within about two minutes. And uh, Neil, I think it's uh, Keith Reynolds. Keith Reynolds, a former yeah. English pro. Yeah. Keith yeah. was in the car. And he came up to me and he said, hey, there's an Italian guy chasing. He's at about a minute and a half. Maybe you should wait. And then you can work together. And I looked at Keith and I went, there is no chance. I said, as soon as he catches me, the psychology shifts and, he, and he's going to beat me. He's going to beat me. I said, there's no way I'm waiting. And so I dug the heels in and um, the climb with about 20 k's to go, as much as I wasn't a climber, I was probably on my day I could climb okay, you know, better than, better than the, the, the normal sprinter, I suppose. So the climb helped me and I hit the climb and just went full gas up the climb, took every risk on the descent down the other side and I got down the descent and Keith came back up and said, you've just taken a minute out of him. He's cracked. He's cracked. He's not going to catch you. Go for it. you got to go for home. And so I think it was, was Keith, La Keith Lambert, I think. Sorry, Keith Lambert. Keith Lambert, yeah. 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 Thanks, John. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah. you know, and then it was only you listened to uh, Phil Liggett and, the late uh, great Paul Sherwin, rest in peace, um, saying 
I thought I, I knew I had it five k's out. I did not know I had that stage win until about eight hundred meters to go. Um, <laughs> so I was it was full gas all the way. <laughs> hey, uh, it, well, in the end, it was only fifty seconds. So one hundred and sixty four k's out there, being abused when you went, and you got there by fifty seconds, which was somewhat comfortable when you think about it. But they were coming at you pretty fast, mate. <laughs> Is, were any of the capos in the peloton, you know, how, how were they afterwards? What were the reactions from the riders? So abusive when you went, but you know, did any, of, any of the big boys come up and congratulate you? No, I mean, Neil, you'll relate to this with a stage winner of the Tour, I think. And it doesn't matter how you win it. I think the aftermath is the next day I had that many suddenly friends in the peloton oh, and yeah. an, an English team, you know, you're still the far. And back then, I mean, it's, I mean, it's 20 years ago, isn't it? So it's... Yeah, we were still a bit of a novelty, the English, the expats trying to make it in Europe. And Neil, you'd know that even more so. So suddenly you win something big, there's there's just respect, isn't there? Was Robbie McEwen trying to take credit for it? Oh, he still does. <laughs> <laughs> he still does. I'm all right with that too. I don't mind. He's won 12. I'll, I'll give him a little bit of credit for this one. Why not? Yeah. Um, all right. So take take us through, like, when did you join the team, Neil? So I uh, come along later on in that year, uh, later in 2000. Um, I, I actually, you know, Macca, you had a fantastic win there. And I think it was it was a real, you know, we all, all of us, Aussies, you know, even the English speakers, we all sort of give a big cheer. Yeah, that was one for the boys when when Mac had rode on his own all day, and um and that's when I started talking to to Yatey and and the and the team about joining up with them for the um at the end of two thousand for the year of the two thousand and one, uh, which, which didn't actually uh, didn't actually survive that long. So when <laughs> when did you guys know that? Oh shit! Hang on, there could be some some dramas here. Because you you'd have a good sixth sense, Neil. Like you, your radar would be like, "Hey, hang on, sounds a bit bloody fishy going on here." <laughs> my my radar wasn't really tuned in at that stage, and so I I sort of believe I thought everyone was you know took everyone by their by their word, and I thought we were going to be okay. And then um, I know sort of you know, you know arranged to, to to join up with the team. I thought this is going to be great, and I started getting excited about it, and then. Maybe even Macca might have even said, oh, "It's actually we've got a few few difficulties here in this team, and yeah, you know, hope, hopefully it'll work out okay." And then have a bit of a chat with uh, Sean Yates, and he's the same. He said, "Oh, geez, actually, I think money's not a great thing of abundance in this team, but anyway, hopefully that's going to improve." And I thought, and I thought, "Crikey, I shouldn't have got into this, you know." And then yeah. um, bloody hell, getting ready for the Tour Down Under, there was. All these little weird things that kept on happening, and uh, well, you just just fix up this plane ticket, and we'll pay you later on, and just do this and just do that. And, I thought, and there was all these warning signs because I was really uh, keen to join up with the team, so I just ignored those little warning signs. And um, yeah, bloody it all. We did the tour down under, and um, yeah, Macca's success, and and uh, that was all okay. Then we went to the whole team launch back in England, and that was really when the when the shit hit the fan. So when you when you say shit at the fan, what what do you mean? This when it it was it was Dunsky. Well, yeah, we're on the plane back, and I'm not too sure. We we have all the riders that were in the tour under, and we started to meet up with other people, and we got back to the hotel. And uh, Chris Lillywhite, I think, was another bike, another member, yeah. a former bike rider, was involved in the team, and um, he sort of picked me up from there airport and he's saying things like uh well i've got this rented car and it's on my credit card because the team one doesn't work and i've 
I've actually paid the deposit on the hotel and hopefully um, the, the, the manager of the team is going to turn up and then all these different people were turning up and telling the same story. And then uh, we thought, right, I, yeah, this is when really was going to make or break of the team and whether he was going to turn up with the, with the cash, with the money, or he wasn't. And he didn't, he didn't show up and it was just more lies and deceit and that sort of stuff come along. So, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we all had to fork in and pay for some home t- uh, flights back to different bike riders and uh, go to the UCI. Unfortunately, the UCI, they'd sort of done us a favour. They'd let us ride the tour and under and, and the, the old guarantees hadn't been paid yet. We probably could have sued the UCI, but in all reality, the UCI were doing us a favour, letting us ride, you know, giving us a chance to, to get on with our careers, basically. Hmm. Um, Neil, tell us something about some of the, the, the well, the non-truths. I think Jaguar were being rumoured as a big sponsor were coming on board. And um, you know, if you're allowed to name the person that was involved in all of this, that was uh, you know, basically bullshitting his way through, you know, what, what was his motivation to, um, to lead so many guys astray? Um, firstly, yeah, I don't have to mention who what his name was, but the thing is that I think it's the same as a, a like a gambler. It's a, there's the best sort of uh, scenario I can put into it. If you uh, if you make a bet down the tab for ten dollars and you and you then you lose it, well, then the best way to recover those ten is to bet twenty, uh, and then the next bet, and uh, then you can make up the what you've lost and, and also get the profit. And then you, if you lose those twenty, well, then you bet another fifty, and then you bet a hundred, and then so what this um, gentleman did was um, was go for a big world to instead of you know chipping along with a little team, he thought I'm going to go a really big team because then I can actually cover all these debts that I've got and make a bit of a profit. And that's when um, he latched on to Linda McCartney as a as a big title sponsor, which they didn't actually they gave the name, but they didn't actually give any money. And then he tried to link in all these other sponsors. Hopefully, one of them at least would pay a bit of money, in, um, and that never happened. And so. All these sponsors thought that they were getting a good deal. Yeah, Jacobs Creek, yeah, maybe they, I don't know, they get a few pallets of grog or whatever in, into their deal and they weren't actually paying any money and 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 uh, uh, Jagger weren't putting any money and uh, the clothing sponsor wasn't putting any money and, um, yeah, and then he was always just waiting for that last sponsor, the one who was going to put in, maybe, yeah, whatever money it was, $10 million or whatever it was. And so, um, yeah, there was never, never any money, really. Basically, he was just getting further and further into debt until until all, all shut up shop. Must have been pretty stressful, Macca, as a rider, you know, particularly when it all went kaput whilst the season's just started. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I've told this story numerous times at functions and I laugh about it now, but <laughs> when, we, when we talk about it and listening to you, Neil, you, you, you're spot on in your description of his, this guy's thought process and... I don't think he initially went out. I still, to this day, he didn't initially go out there to deceive any of us, but he got himself deeper and deeper. And to just go back sort of one small step to the end of two it down under that year, I will never, ever forget this. So I've won the final stage. I'm on the, I'm on the stage collecting my trophy and flowers and what have you, and it was the Jacobs Creek two it down under at that stage. And we, Jacobs Creek, was a major sponsor of the team for 2001, supposedly. And I remember the marketing or the general manager of Jacobs Creek presented me with my trophy. And I remember he looked at me and he said, oh, wow, cool jersey. It's got our name on it. And I sort of said, oh, yeah, great. And I walked off the stage and I thought, 
you're a major sponsor, mate, of our team. How do you not know this? And I mm. thought he didn't even know. And that was when the alarm bells really started to ring in my in my head. But as Neil said, it wasn't until we arrived in London and then the second we got off the plane, it was like the team's about to fold, you know, and within two hours, Neil and, and Sean were having sort of trying to have a crisis meeting with uh, the, the, the guys that managed the McCartney sort of brand. And, um, you know, I, I actually felt for a lot of the other writers as much as myself, but, you know, uh, Pete Rogers, uh, Mick's older brother, he basically said, my career's done. He got on a plane and flew straight back to Australia. There was a Colombian, a real young kid, like a Neo Pro. He'd been two hours in customs, strip search, the whole works. On a you know 25-hour journey, he got back on the plane and flew straight back to Colombia. It was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty average. <laughs> so oh, from, what I, from, what, from what I can, uh, my memories of it were that, what happened that initially Linda McCartney put in X amount. They didn't continue with that after Linda had died. He then asked them to stay on board with their name, even though they weren't putting much money in. The Jaguar thing, he was just talking to someone at Jag, not even that high up, and they'd shown a bit of interest. He put them, their name on there. They weren't even really a sponsor. That no, was the correct. type of things that were happening. Yeah, correct. And the same with Jacob's Creek. And in the yeah. end, I mean, I'd, I was living in Toulouse, so was the, this, the general manager, and I was having sort of, you know, I'd go for coffee with him, we'd have lunch, and he'd be telling me point blank to my face, listen, mate, it, next year's going to be brilliant. And, you know, when you're sort of you're comfortable in your, your environment, so I didn't want to go and look for another team. I was sort of thinking, no, no, it'll be fine. He's telling me, you know, point blank, everything's going to be good. We've got a, you know, $5 million budget, which back in those days was quite big. So I thought, I'm on my way here. This is, you know, this is it. We've got our little Aussie contingent on the team. It's going to be a, a really good thing. And anyway, it wasn't. <laughs> We've got a comment from uh, – he's almost a bit of a stalker, um, Matthew Keenan. Uh, <laughs> Steve-O, Macca won a stage at the 2000 Giro, the 2001 TDU, and then by Feb 2001, he was without a team. That must be one of the unluckiest turning points in an Australian pro's career. He's too kind. Do you agree, Steve? <laughs> yeah, it was certainly a setback, wasn't it? Yeah, but um, <laughs> oh, Macca, yeah, you didn't deserve that, but uh, he's a bit of a battler. Um, yeah, a name that um, Macca brought up there was you know, uh, Pete Rogers. You know, that he just sadly got on the plane and you know, he, he was sort of rebooting his career, and he and he would have been a fantastic biker, and he just flew back again. But um, Macca, yeah, I, I think is really similar to me. Yeah, you know, he's a bit of a battler. And uh, get a few results and back on another team and get a few results. And that was a, certainly a big setback. You know, certainly from going what could have been a fantastic career as well. Uh, yes, you had a great career, Macca. But, but, you know, if going from the Giro stage win, he could have probably gone on for other teams, whereas he, he was in his comfort zone. He stayed with the team. And then that, and then he had to battle on for, for other teams later on, you know. But um, certainly a bloody big setback. But I think that's, that's what a lot of Australian pros have happened, you know, that we've been... Yeah, you get you get to hurt certain hurdles. Some of them stop you in your tracks, and some of them, yeah, you just jump over and keep on going. But he, uh, that uh, Linda McCartney thing, uh, basically, I think it stopped about over fifty percent of the bike riders that were in the team. Uh, 
sort of yeah, ended all their careers and then yeah, they had to hang it up and, and, and stop stop dreaming about professional cycling, basically. Scooter? Steve-O, um, you mentioned um, Pete Rogers. So Pete and I were teammates with you in your very last uh, last race that you had. Um, can you remember what that was? Well, you should know. Yes, Commonwealth Games, Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we did well. We got a win with Jay Sweet. Yeah. Um, but you talk about being a battler, yeah. as as Maka, as we know Maka is. That's the, the character he is. Same for you, mate. Briefly, tell us about that other team. Way, way, way before Linda McCartney, when you were racing, you had the the Zero Boys. It was a, a concept oh, of a bunch of battlers coming together. That was in the eighties, wasn't it? Mid eighties, late eighties. That was a. That was a. Actually, the, the story started even before that team. Before so I commented with that team. said exactly that. Steve had his own battles oh, early on with the Zero Boys. So yeah. what are the Zero yeah. Boys? I've never heard of them. Well, it, it, this uh, the whole thing started. It was, it was meant to be another team I was going to. I, I got a I, someone enough for me to, to go to Belgium for, in it, for a team. And I was, uh, and I had good friends with uh, uh, Stephen Roach at the time. And I said to Roach, I said, I don't really feel like going to Belgium. And uh, what should I do? And he said, ask them for too much money. And I thought I, I did. I thought I'm asking for too much money. They were going to say no. And they said yes. I thought, oh, crikey, well, I better go then. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I, I went to Belgium. And so, sure enough, one thing's promising money. The other thing's actually paying it. And so... That went worse, from bad to worse, and that sort of stuff. And so this other group of people, and they, they had this fantastic idea, and the idea was great. You can't ch- in cycling, uh, you can't change your major sponsor. So they had the major sponsor was a zero, and so they put a big zero on the jersey. And you might uh, be racing in 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 Australia, and you might put uh, Carlton United Brewery on the on your jersey, or you might be racing somewhere else, and you put another one all inside the zero. And so the zero was always the constant, which had no money. But the, the, the minor sponsors would change from race to race, and we would get the, all the riders would get a, a percentage of that uh, that income. And uh, long and short of that was that the income was zero as well. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, nothing's changed. But, nothing's changed. Yeah, nothing's changed. But you, I got it. You got to be thankful for for small gifts, you know, and. One thing that did allow me, that team did allow me to do, was I raced in some bloody good bike races in in Belgium and in Holland throughout that year. Got a couple of results, and um, and that's what really kicked on my, my latter part of my career was getting you know because I was a bit like Mako, I was a, a bit of a battler, you know, not super talented, but uh, and every time you get a kick in their guts, you either got to you know curl up and just and go with it or, or or fight back. And so I fought back, and that that time I did fight back. I was in some races there and I was going to get the best out of it because I, I certainly didn't want to fly home because that was going to be the end of the story. And then got a few results, got a contract in Spain and uh, and that's when then when things really picked up after that year, the Zero Boys. Um, Maka, does it pose a bigger question? I mean, the Lyndon McCartney stuff should have obviously led to more tighter reforms with the UCI around guaranteed monies and all this sort of stuff. You can't have a scenario where half of your team essentially leave the sport but is the sport, I mean, how is it going to improve in the future? Because we're already talking about there's going to be two or three teams that won't survive 2020. There's no salary cap. You know, it's it's literally um, philanthropic people that tip money in that, you know, want to do it because they know what effect it has on people's lives. But the model is is so flawed and it, and it needs to change. But how is this going to happen? Is Can you yeah. see this improving? Yeah, you've... <laughs> It's 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 uh, I'm 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 not bitter anymore. By the way, I'm, I'm nearly over it. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> here I go. I'm, I'm going to launch into something now. Um, yeah. But no, it's you're right. It's um, look, there was a story a couple of days ago, and we covered it on our podcast. There was a, a, a women's team suddenly a calling on the bank guarantee from the UCI, and so obviously I grabbed it quickly, and, and we we ran with this story and, and talked about it. Basically, discussed the facts on our podcast. My question is, why are we still at this point 30 mm. years later? You know, why are we still at this point? Why aren't the UCI and whoever is auditing the books at the UCI, I don't know who it is, so I won't say. I think I know who it is, but I won't say. Why are we still get to this point with teams and suddenly, you know, halfway through a season or two-thirds of the way through a season, everything should be sorted at the beginning of each year. So... To me, there are still some real issues on a, on a, on a governing body sense uh, at a UCI level. And just, just on the McCartney thing, by the way, I actually went to proceedings to actually sue the UCI um, back in 2001. I got a Swiss lawyer and I was pretty determined um, to, to pursue it further. Um, and that's another story. But, yeah, I'm, I think there's still plenty of work to be done to... Um, you know, I think the World Tour teams, and Neil, you can probably talk a bit more about this. I think the World Tour teams are pretty rock solid at the moment in the men's, but I think below that, it's like a second thought, and I think there needs to be more done for the Division Two squads, the, the Division Three, and, of course, women's cycling. What do you reckon, Neil? Yeah, yeah, I reckon uh, make a spot on. Uh, I don't know about... The, uh, the 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 world tour teams being rock solid. Uh, I think the COVID has sort of knocked us all around mm. a little bit at, at this at this moment. But certainly, it's a bit of a uh, and I'm not I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, but certainly in the in the world tour uh, for a world tour team to renew their license, if they've got any you know like any member of the team that's owed any money, well then you just don't get your license for the for the next year. And so that it's really a very very tight ship, and then it's not so tight a ship in the continental teams and the and it's the women's cycling, which is a shame. But by the same token, and perhaps, and I suggest that the thing is that sometimes uh, that we the the people that are employed by professional cycling sometimes we ask for an extension. Please let, give us the license. Please just oversee that we're going to get the money a little bit later, and so that we all want to race, even if we have to cut our salaries by a bit. And sometimes. That, that should be a hard line to say, sorry, if you haven't got a licence, you're out. And, you, and you, you, you know, if you haven't got all your, your payments done, you're out uh, because you're actually not doing anyone a favour, allowing them to start up and get halfway through the season and then you know, run out of money. And so, um, yeah, sometimes it should be a tighter ship. Um, sometimes there's people that won't survive, um, but there's just a bit of a clean-out clean point. And from that moment on, it, uh, it survives. But... Certainly with the pro level, uh, and you look at it, you know, I live in Europe, uh, the, all the football teams, and they just get themselves in a bigger and bit, bigger debt. And, uh, and they've got hundreds of million dollars owed, but they just renew their licence and they're, they're no worries at all. Whereas cycling in, the, in the, pro tour, the pro tour, at least, it's a very stern ship. And um, that, uh, that, yeah, if you, if you owe one of your, your, your masseurs, you know, $5,000 for the year, we just don't get licensed for the whole team for the next year. Mm. You know what? So, Nothing's going to change until the whole uh, ball game changes. Until the, the everyone can share in the profits from the television, 
So till the pro teams don't have to rely completely on sponsorship to survive. There has to be an income stream so that everyone is dying, you know, wants to be a, a, a world tour. The minute, the minute anyone will step away, that license has got to be worth money. At the moment, it's not worth anything. And that won't happen until ASO realise they're going to benefit by giving away a little bit to make the team stronger. That's, everyone will benefit. And it could be there's so much more money out there for television if it's handled properly. I well, agree, looks, John. You're spot looks, on, like we, John. looks like we won't be using Tilda France vision on this show again. If he good job, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt Keenan said it happened to the world champion, so it can happen to anyone. Lee Groupman with Luke LeBlanc in '95, it's a regular pattern, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's group, true. Like group yeah. Um, well, mm. so look, and as you were saying, Steve, it's better now, so there are checks and balances in place um, to ensure teams don't go a couple of months into a season and then fall over. But even a couple of years after the Luna McCartney situation, you know, I was with uh, Team Mappé. It was like the Team Sky of the day, you know, the biggest budget, double the budget of any other team back then. 2002, they finished. And then I signed up with Index Alexia, Italian team for 2003. And, you know, part of the actual deal was that, you know, they were, the, they were going to give me a start in the Giro the next year because I'd been focusing on the track for two seasons. I wanted to get back into the road. But they had Paolo Salvadelli win the Giro in 2002. Now, he was on a smaller contract with massive bonuses. And also Ivan Quaranta, sprinter, had big bonuses in his contract as well. The team couldn't pay the bonuses. So when the riders started to complain to the UCI, the UCI let that process drag out until the end of January 2003 and then said, okay, nah, you don't get a licence. Now, the big-name guys, mm. Salvadelli had already gone. He'd already gone to, uh, I think, Sayaka or one of the other teams. But um, they, the big guys, they were able to you know, find a place. And for most of the team, that was it. There was nowhere to go. Mm. So the season had already started, so things fell over. So things are certainly better now, though. Mm. Mm. Well, there you go. It's been a uh, bloody riveting conversation, boys. Um, hey, um, hey, Dan, can I just – and guys, can I just, like – Bask in my glory just for one little bit. I just want to yeah. show you something. Yes. I very rarely get to show this, and I'm really proud of it. The show only it trophy it. I care about. This is my my prize from the Giro, the stage win. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Hey, look at, hey, Mecca, yeah. look at this. Nice. I got the photo. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Nice one. Oh nice no! One. I thought you. I thought you were holding the trophy. Sorry, mate. So <laughs> if you can see, can you see there? Yeah. Tedamore is the the name of the town that I won in. And 20th of May, 2000. That's and awesome. There was, there was one of these produced, and it's the only trophy I really care about. So there you go. Oh, hey, no, good on you, mate. Fantastic there trophy. It does, <laughs> like, it does look like they used um, a, a pumpkin as the mould for that trophy. <laughs> Maybe. It's pretty yeah. good. Hey, before you go, pretty good to me. did you get to meet Sir Paul McCartney? Surely. Yes. Yes. Tell us the story. Ah, oh, yes. This is actually a really cool story. So in 99, we went to the UK, had our team launch in Trafalgar Square, and then, and you'll all be, well, I think if you're into music, we all are, you'll be jealous of this. We then went to his private studio, 12 writers, the team manager, Sean Yates, and we met Paul McCartney and a photographer, and we spent about two hours with him cruising around his studio, oh and he played about 15 instruments to us. It was unbelievable. He wrote a song oh, about the team, didn't he? I think he did. I think yeah, he did. I don't think it did well, any good, though. It didn't, uh, didn't uh, race up the charts. No. Yeah. You know, I've seen, 
Macca and the Breakaway or something. I don't know. Guys, I, I sang a song with Paul McCartney. Did you? Yeah, yeah. So he turned up to the when I was commentating the Sydney, uh, sorry, the um, London Olympic Games, the track, and they you know, go around the, the the audience and they find out you know there was Kobe Bryant, there was someone else, and then they showed Paul McCartney up on the big screen, and everyone you know the, the event venue announcer announced that Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney's here, and everyone's oh wow cheering or whatever. DJ whacked on Hey Jude, and then me and Paul. And six thousand other people all saying along with Paul McCartney, "Hey Jude." <laughs> <laughs> awesome. it, awesome. Seriously, special moment. Like, of course, yeah. yeah. uh, Maka just shared his moment. moment, and you've just come over the top. How do you feel, <laughs> mate? This is That's meant right. to be This is meant to be Maka's show. <laughs> you've just bloody come over the top, bloody hell! But no, his uh, moment's far better. He got to really meet him. Uh, yeah. yeah, but no, we're, we're bloody appreciated you guys coming on. It's always a good laugh. Uh, thanks again, Neil, and, and congrats again on the, the Tour de France victory. And Maka, congrats on yeah. a sensational podcast, the Cycling Central podcast presented by Zwift and all your commentary gigs, mate. You're doing a stellar job. And, and sorry it took so long to get you on the detour. No, um, no, no, I, I was going to push out a plug, but you've just done it for me. So, uh, no, no, <laughs> we, we like to share the love, don't we? The love no, goes both Pleasure. We'll, we'll get you on again soon, mate, for sure. And uh, Neil, always a pleasure, mate. You're a bloody legend. Hopefully that vein hasn't filled with blood after the Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak to you again soon, buddy. Good idea. Yeah, we better hear. We better hear from our sponsors, I reckon. Yeah, well, we can let the guys go, and then you can plug the sponsors. So, good on you, boys. Thanks, guys. See you later. Cheers, mate. See, See you, later. lads. Take it easy. Hey, guys. Peace, fellas. <laughs> How good was that? That was bloody sensational. fantastic. Sensational yeah. storytelling. Now, John. Yeah, we've kept it down to 45 minutes again. That's been great. Yeah, give us your best. <laughs> ah, Mitchelton Hotel. Experience the history, the beauty, and the serenity of the Goulburn Valley. Explore the seasonal menu in the Muse restaurant with wines perfectly paired. It's become an iconic place for weddings and special parties. The cellar door, you can book a wine tasting. It is sensational. Of course, there's the day spa. Go in there, quiet the mind, unwind the body, rediscover your balance in a setting of peace and harmony. How's that? On the banks of the beautiful Goulburn River. Jeez, it must be that country air, mate. That was your best get. It's just off the cuff. Yep. Uh, all right. And here's a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is people that are looking for a bike or just a piece of it amateurs semi-amateurs and pro amateurs this guy wants this bike but with this crank and these bars this could be the perfect match but not this one this girl has a bike to sell and thousands of people might purchase it eyes on bikes help grow small businesses his hers yours and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving we are the world's number one bike marketplace. 
with over 500,000 products and 900 brands, where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Now, before we go, we're getting a lot of love online. Uh, Kirsty Baxter, bump episode tonight, guys. Love it. Thanks, Kirsty. Uh, Warwick Norman, awesome podcast tonight, guys. Thanks, Warwick. Jenny, great evening, guys. Thank you. Alan has been very entertaining. Thanks. And Cheryl, great show tonight. So thanks heaps for the support. Thanks for the comments. I've bloody enjoyed that. That was a great, great chat. And it's like anything, like, you know, when you get on Netflix and you see that story about the fire Festival, any stories that have got twist turns and there's like villains and all this sort of stuff, um, Jesus, great listening, isn't it, Scotty? Oh, absolutely. Mate, mate, there are a million stories. I tell you, we need to get past the Giro so we can just do podcasts on the stories of cycling. We've got that many old mm. ones, for sure. Some, some mm. Hey, um, guys, we didn't mention the uh, the women's Gen Bevelgem. Um, so yep. it was Julian Dorr that took that out, former Belgian champion, beat the current uh, Belgian champion in Lotte Capecchi. But Sarah Roy finished fourth. So it was a big group coming to the end. Grace Brown was in the group. Also, Tiff Cromwell just at the back of it as well. Um, so it wasn't hard enough. Didn't split up for Grace Brown to, to do what she does best. But uh, she uh, did her best to try and help out Sarah Roy, fourth place. So good result for her. And Emily Wing has commented. She said, big shout out to Beck McConnell for placing third for the second year in a row at the Mountain Bike World Champs on the weekend. Doesn't even get a mention in mainstream media. She's an absolute superstar, Beck. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, well, she lost Since her. Contract. She, was, she was riding for Trek a couple of years ago. The factory team lost her contract with them. So her and her husband, who's Dan, you know, obviously you know, our best male mountain bike rider as well. He was coaching her. Then they got married. So a great partnership, um, husband and wife team. You know that are our best two mountain bikers, and they've pretty much done it on their own for the last few years. And I actually really thought that that was going to be the end of it. Lost the factory rides. And they were going to probably just drift, you know, back to tenth to fifteenth. And I tell you what, she is absolutely flying two years in a row. That shows some real guts and determination and some quality. And um, hopefully, it keeps going from there. We've got the Olympics coming up next year. Maybe it's another medal for her. And also on LinkedIn, a couple of shout-outs, Michael Rogers. What a good-looking hey. bunch of fellas on your dog. <laughs> and the commentator, uh, Matt Rendell, brilliant, listening every day. This is the most Australian thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the most Australian <laughs> thing. Yeah, we had steve one as well, so it's well, more yeah. Aussie than steve um, Yeah, that's some, right. We should get Matt on, actually. If, if he's oh, he's a, he's a ripping bloke. Ripping well, bloke. he was Nairo Quintana's manager, and he's got some cracking stories about Nairo and stuff that, you know, he's a very quiet guy, and I tell you what, he has not been uh, very well looked after by his previous team. Um, I don't know if Matt's willing to share those stories, but if he isn't, I will because well, I don't care. Well, yeah, let's get him on. Hmm. All he like can a, do is yeah, plead the fifth. Like a plan. <laughs> like a plan. Oh, good. Exactly. All right, Ify, we better let you get back to that bug zapper, mate. Start catching flies. The I, did, out, uh, I, did, I did have a message from Whitey. He said, uh, thanks for giving me the night off. He said, uh, we've got, uh, we haven't got any results from our third COVID test in a row. So fingers crossed, uh, they'll all come back negative. Talk tomorrow. Oh, what, what do you have for dinner? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know. Didn't I didn't ask. Yeah. 
Hey, look, everyone, well deserved, well deserved rest day for everybody. Hoping it's going to be a, a, several days until we get another real GC day, unless there's some crosswinds or something. The big hills um, this second week's not quite as hard as what we're going to expect in the yeah. third ne- week. Next next Sunday, what is it? That's about it, really. Yeah. So anyway, let's hope that Jai and um, Lucas can really step up and keep going in the right direction as they are. Little point from uh, yesterday's stage was the day before we had Alex Dowsett. We put in a fantastic ride to win the stage. Yesterday he finished uh, dead last. So from first to last, in, uh, who cares? You want to stay. That's right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. You had two major races last night, both won by a Pedersen. Hmm. Who's, yeah. Well done. Paris Tours. Paris Tours is won by the yeah, other Pedersen. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Pedersons. <laughs> well, may, well, maybe if the if the Giro, like you know, they're not expecting sort of massive fireworks till the end of the week. Maybe we continue with this format for a couple of episodes. Let's just tell some cracking yarns, cover the Giro stuff in the first five minutes, and just chew the fat and really dial up the Aussiness. Five hour podcast. Yeah. yeah, let's get Elby back yeah. on. We'll get yeah. Dave Brailsford on tomorrow. Have you got oh, yeah. the um? Have you got the bleeper? Have you got the bleeper ready? Is there a delay? <laughs> no. This is I'll, turn the, turn the bugs, I'll turn the bugs ever back on. Yeah, And this is a record, boys. The longest ever Detour Live podcast, an hour and 32 minutes. So congratulations. We got there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the serenity. <laughs> the bugs ever is back on. Uh, where, are you, where are you in Body Doom? Where are you? <laughs> it's not far from Body Doom, actually. A beautiful lake, the Gamby. And uh, you, oh, I can't, it's dark out there now. I can't show you the lake, but uh, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I didn't know that they still sold those bug zappers. I thought they sort of <laughs> capped, capped in the eighties, but obviously not. Yeah. Well, this uh, one, right. the, the the gaps are a little bit big, and small birds can fly in there as well. <laughs> All right. On that, uh, we'll tune in again tomorrow night, uh, same time, seven thirty. But we might be bringing the time back that we record live because we've got to prep for the AFL Grand Final, which is a seven thirty kickoff. I don't really want to clash with that. So maybe we start winding it back to sort of six to seven. Just then. If you haven't seen it live, you can watch the replay. It's all about exactly. me and my routine. So that's the priority. If you don't like it, don't tune in. Okay. Can't, can't miss the granny, mate. No. Nah. We'll see you again tomorrow night. Thanks for joining us. Great show. See you then.